Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still. Where nature is harsh and demanding. Where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. And good morning, this is Annie for Showreel. We're uh, looking at Australian film, which we do every week. The uh, interesting thing today is a bit of a, an interview with uh, a person called Jeremy Irvine. He uh, has made a film or is in the process of making a film called uh, Fade to Black, which is a uh, – it's, it's uh, subtitled the Peter Short documentary, which is really about a – the issue of dying with dignity. Uh, you may know that uh, Peter Short was a man who uh, found out about six years ago that he had an incurable... Oh, well, he, he had his first bout of cancer and then uh, after about four years or so, it returned. And uh, in his last few months of uh, life, he spent a lot of time working on uh, trying to change the law regarding dying with dignity, uh, the medical uh, answer to uh, people who are in terrible pain and who are still in a position to make a decision about how they would like to die. Uh, a, di- a difficult situ- uh, situation, quite clearly, and, um, and even though there's been uh, many attempts to change legislation, uh, it hasn't uh, happened. And uh, so uh, Peter Short took it upon himself to involve himself in his last months of life to uh, campaign. And Fade to Black is a movie about those last months of life. So I decided to have a chat with uh, Jeremy about the whole process of making such a uh, difficult but important film. So, Jeremy Irvine. Jeremy, I'm wanting to talk to you about uh, Fade to Black, the Peter Short documentary, but before we do, can you give me some idea of how you got into film, your film background? Well, I I was actually working in advertising and um, our agency that we ran in Adelaide um, started to get into the film production side of commercials. We were doing a lot of online um, materials, often for a lot of political campaigns that were starting to go viral. And I guess I developed an interest in filmmaking from there. And the natural progression for me was going on and producing um, longer form content. So um, my first film a couple of years ago was um, a narrative feature called Lemon Tree Passage. Okay. And uh, you... Uh, uh 
I mean, in a funny kind of way, Fade to Black, the Peter Short documentary, is a kind of a pop-up film in a sense. I know it sounds a bit disrespectful, but, uh, I mean, it's about a man's last few months of life, and uh, it... Uh, which, of course, uh, means that one has to be alert to such a fact that a person is about to die. Uh, How did it all come about? Well, that's exactly right. Um, It's almost exactly the same sort of terms that I would use to describe this project. Because a lot of the time, no matter what, whether it be a documentary or whether it be a narrative feature, there's often a lot of planning, there's a lot of development time that goes behind a film, and this is something that was an opportunity that, landed straight in my lap and it was almost had to sort of it was a knee-jerk reaction this is too too good of an opportunity not to pursue and not to produce so we kind of had to skip all of that traditional process of okay how do you find the funding how do you negotiate um all of the the deals that you would normally put in place before you start production on a film so um i was actually contacted um by peter through a connection that i had on a commercial that i was working on there was an actor who was actually playing a nun in a commercial that I was producing for the Australian Sex Party. And um, she was a member of Dying With Dignity Victoria. And she put me in touch with Peter Short, who originally reached out to me, hoping that I might be able to produce an ad campaign. And after we had a bit of a longer discussion about his situation and what he was looking to achieve, uh, my suggestion to him was that I was producing a documentary film following the last few months of his life. Now, I noticed that um, uh, when I was looking into this that uh, you had two cameras and a sound recordist and you spent, uh, what, a a very long time uh, in intimate contact with a person who was hoping to raise awareness of the need for dignity in dying. Uh, So can you uh, explain how you were able to develop the concept? What did you do? Well, um, initially, the, the, it's very difficult to develop a narrative when you're, when you're watching life unfold. So we had to really talk about a different number of different storylines at the very beginning as to how Peter's journey may go. And um, often Peter was very involved in those discussions as well. So we'd talk about what, what may happen if he dies early, what may happen if um, he, he decides to take the Nembutal, um, will we film that, will we not film that, does that have legal implications for me, for the crew, for his family, for Dr. Rodney Time, who provided him with that drug. Um, and I guess we then looked at, there was a number of things that was going on in Peter's life. There was the political process where he was lobbying, he was knocking on doors of politicians, touring through um, Parliament House in Canberra. But then there was the really personal side of his journey, which was how does, how does an individual and his family cope with um, a person who's dying? And that, to me, was the more interesting side of this story. I, I found the idea around creating a film that opens up the dialogue and discussion of death to be more important than the actual political process of trying to change the law. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, Peter Short was chief executive of Coles Express and he was, in fact, a person who said himself that... Uh, he was basically a corporate high flyer who was part of a world uh, of a very corporate, goal-oriented, climb-the-ladder type of world. And it was a process of six years, really. I mean, you, you captured the last part of his journey because uh, he became aware that once the cancer came back, it was uh, that was it. But um, it, it's, the bit that's interesting to me is that his... Uh, 
here was a person who had everything that this system, the mainstream system, can offer. Uh, and this is an extremely compelling sort of documentary for people who are completely inserted into the go-getter life where you can be felled. Uh, illness is kind of indiscriminate, isn't it? Did that come across in that, the whole exactly, process? That's exactly it. Um, uh, well, we were actually sitting down doing an interview with Darren Hinch and um, he raised the question... Um, that often, because he was faced with um, terminal illness a number of years ago, I was actually working with him on an ad campaign. It's that when he, when he at that point in time, thought he only had three weeks left to live. And um, he used to say that often other people with terminal cancer would say to him, why me? And um, Darren's response was, well, why not me? <laughs> so, well, that's right. It's, it's something that can happen to any of us, no matter where you are in life. I thought that summarised it very well. Now, tell us about the actual process of uh, doing the quite intimate sort of filming. Uh, the process of filming? Yeah, the whole process of daily existence within that context. Um, it was really quite casual. Um, the family were really supportive of this documentary. I think towards the end, um, Peter's wife, Elizabeth, was probably um, hoping that there were days that I wouldn't turn up and the rest of the crew when things were starting to get difficult, but they were really understanding. In the very early stages, I think Peter um, felt as though he had to put a performance on in front of the camera in the early days, but after a while, everyone became really relaxed and I guess felt as we just became part of the furniture no matter what was going on in their lives. So no matter whether they're having a dinner party or going out um, for a drive, like even I'd sit in the back of taxis with Peter as he's just going around his, on his on his day, and um, he got very um, comfortable with the fact that there was just a camera crew just hanging around him at all points in time. Hi, this is Katie from Little Birdie, and you're listening to 3CR 855 AM. We need your help to support public radio and your local music scene. Yes, you're on 3CR with Annie on Showreel and we're talking to uh, Jeremy Irvine who's uh, part of a crew who are making a film called Fade to Black, the Peter Short documentary. But it's a, a film that uh, revolves around Peter Short's last last few months and the political struggle to uh, actually bring onto the uh, uh, the table, the, uh, the mainstream table, that uh, there may be a need to die with dignity. Now, uh, we'll um, continue with the interview, uh, and later on we'll have a word with Anna Bazukas about the Setting Sun film, short film festival, which is coming up in uh, April. Now, the thing is that uh, there was an inevitable end, which was that Peter did die at the end of last year, now, you've obviously had to go through an editing process. How did you deal with the uh, the editing process? What kind of uh, themes did you use and uh, what were the things that you used as a way of understanding the process of editing? Well, um, we haven't actually commenced editing yet. We've actually still been filming interviews for the last few weeks. So that is a part of the journey that we are still yet to undergo. Okay, so what are these uh, further interviews? What are you doing? Uh, we've been 
a part of this um, story whilst we've been talking following Peter's life, but we've been really wanting to explore this issue in a much deeper level as well. Um, often we talk the issue of voluntary euthanasia or physician-assisted suicide has been debated on many levels, and often one of the reasons why politicians in Australia um, aren't interested in going near this issue is because they're concerned about the unintended consequences of what may happen if we do legalise this for the people that do want it. Will it inevitably lead to us um, euthanising people who don't want it or convincing poor little grandmothers that they're a burden on their family and they're going to end their own lives, which more or less is a nonsense argument. But what I've been really interested in is the unintended consequences of what happens if we don't legalise this? What's the underground trade of um, Nembutal look like? What, what happens in these situations when you have these people that are so desperate to end their lives and they, they commit suicide in really horrific ways and leave terrible scars on their families for, for years and years? We've been going around and meeting different families who have had different experiences. Um, last weekend I was down in Tasmania and talking to a lady whose, whose husband ended his own life using Nembutal. She talks about how it was a really peaceful death and it was a really good death and the family have a really um, positive memory of his last day, as sad as it was. But then we spoke a week earlier to a lady whose, fa whose father um, blew his brains out with a shotgun because oh. he was in so much pain. And, um, and he even wrote a, a note saying, thank you to the hospice care, thank you to palliative care, you helped me, but you weren't able to help me enough. And this is what I wanted. I can't deal with being a vegetable, basically. So there's all these different scenarios that we've been looking at, as well as we're also talking to the people who oppose voluntary euthanasia and really understanding what is the reason why this issue hasn't progressed any further, who are the people that have the views against, and what's their reasoning behind it. And more or less, it, it, it always comes from a religious background. So so uh, how long do you think you are going to, this the final product's going to be? Because that's always the difficulty, isn't it? Once you start digging and digging, digging... How far do you go? Well, um, you always have to put a limit. Um, we are getting very close to that limit now. We've probably got close to 100 hours worth of footage that we have to cut down into a 80-minute film of some sort. <laughs> so um, it's, a, it's a matter of, I think, of exploring the issue as far as you can go, creating as much material as we possibly can have available to us for the post-process, and then we're going to have to make some really strong decisions as we go down the track as to what, what's in and what's out. I noticed that you uh, were uh, garnered a lot of support through Indiegogo. You got over $123,000 through that process. Uh, is that going to be enough? Um, definitely not. Um, that was barely enough just to cover the costs of um, part-time crew over six months. So we've, we will be going through a process of raising more funds again to cover the post-production process. Righto, okay. And uh, you've obviously got an editor in mind? We, we do, yes. Yeah. So I'll be working with a colleague that I've worked with for years. Um, are, are you based in South Australia? I've actually relocated to Melbourne for the shoot. I'm originally from Adelaide. Yeah, right, okay. So you've actually had to rearrange your entire life for this? That's right. Um, thankfully, because there wasn't enough money to actually get paid a salary or to actually... Um, I pay relocation. Thankfully, there have been so many people that have been in support of the project who have covered everything from donations, from accommodation to office spaces for our production. Um, our actual crowdfunding campaign 
from what I was aware, was actually the most successful crowdfunding campaign for a documentary in Australia of all time. Well, it's interesting to me that, uh, of course, all the skills that go with being a corporate high flyer were obviously uh, Peter Short applied them to this particular project. That's exactly it. His, his approach and how he spoke to politicians was in the same way he would as a corporate lobbyist, I guess. Um, he, and I think it's something really that has made such a difference for the Dying with Dignity movement, who's traditionally been dominated by people at the later stages of their lives, along with a few passionate doctors here and there. But um, often when you have I don't know, a group of people in their later years um, talking to politicians and trying to make change, it just doesn't have the same impact as former CEO of a big Australian company. Now, before I let you go, uh, who are your target? Where are you going to try and sell this to? Well, um, at this point in time, we're still in negotiations with a few Australian TV networks. Um, obviously, we'd love to find a, an audience locally, but it's the type of film that we think will resonate with people on an international level as well. It's an issue that I think um, transcends just Australian culture. So you're going to take it to festivals? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, good luck. And uh, what's the timeline? When do okay. you think you'll be finished? We're looking to complete the film around September or October this year. Okay. All right. So we'll, we'll keep our eyes and ears open for it. Thanks for talking to me, Jeremy. That'd be great. Not alone. Thanks for your time. Good on you. Tune in to On Screen and find out more about what's on the big and the small screen each Saturday, 11am till 12 noon on 3CR. It's a program on film, on filmmakers and on film festivals. It's called On Screen, Mm, but it's on the radio, 3CR. And you're with Annie on Showreel. And uh, you are indeed on 3CR, 855 on your AM dial. But, of course, you can jump online and go to 3CR and uh, listen to us streaming. Uh, on the line, we've got uh, Anna Pasukas, who is the director of the Setting Sun Short Film Festival, which is coming up on April the 16th, going to the 18th. How are you, Anna? How are you? Anna, can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> yes, I can. Can you hear me? I certainly can. How are you, Anna? How's it all going? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, it's going really well. We're just um, planning the opening night and the award night. We've got lots of great films. Great. And, um, you know, we're you know really excited. Yeah, well, the last time I spoke to you, you it was before the end of uh, the year and uh, you were drumming up trade for people to... Uh, actually send their entries in and now we know that the setting sun is called the setting sun because it's in the west and you are focusing on uh, the west and that it's all going to be happening at the uh, sun cinema which is the lovely theatre in Yarraville so tell us about the entries how many entries did you get well um, all up we'll be showing about 52 films so I think we got about uh, 48 films something like that 49 all up and then I've invited a couple um, from Yarraville West Primary, they're, they're grade five, grade six students um, produce award-winning claymation that's um, you know been exhibited all around Australia and stuff. So we're going to be showing some of their films as well. And we actually have two venues. We um, also um, will be showing films at the Kindred Theatre in Yarraville, and that's for the runners-up 
Oh, fantastic. So it's a very... That's a free program for the runners-up, yeah. Yeah, so that's a a very inclusive uh, 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 festival, isn't it? Yes, we try to be. Yeah. So in the main cinema, I suppose that would be called the Sun Theatre, you have got a program that's running from uh, April the 16th to the 18th. 16th is the opening night. Yeah, tell us all about it. Yep, all right. So on April the 16th is the, the opening night. So we'll have a DJ, a comedian, an after party. So there'll be some food and some drinks, um, you know, cheap alcohol and stuff. We do, we do the after party in the Theatre of the Sun um, foyer and in the um, pop-up park just outside. It was a lot of fun last year, really well attended. Um, and that program goes for about an hour and a half. We also have a show bag, which has lots of goodies that get donated by a lot of people. Um, that we offer all our um, attendees that night, and then we have a different. We have a program running um, seven o'clock and eight o'clock Friday and Saturday, and um, so that's four programs. Each one is different, and the one's called the Bridge. One is called the Western Sun, the Rouge, which is an adults-only program, and I, I can't think of the other name. Um, the Palm. We also have the Palm. That's another program that we run. So all of those films are different. And then we also, all of those, sorry, programs are different. And then we have one on Sunday at six o'clock, which is a kids program. We got a lot of kids filmmakers entered this year, enough so that we could run a, a full program of just their films and films that were suitable for kids. And that'll be at Sunday, on Sunday night at six o'clock, just before the awards ceremony, the Sunnies. Now, I know that um, you, this is your second year. Uh, did you find that uh, the, there were a, a more films that were actually located in the West than before? Yes, I did. A lot of the student films um, that were, were about Footscray or filmed in Footscray and a, few of the, a lot more of the documentary that came, documentaries that came this year had a very um, specific Western suburbs um, you know, slant. So they were people who were looking for stories in their community to tell. And so there's some really well-known local identities that are going to be up on the big screen. I think that'll be really popular with a lot of the people that come. It's really important to have um, local stories told and for people to see their stories up on the screen and, and people from their community. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And the other thing is that uh, is, what was the ratio between dramas and uh Documentary. Do, have you got a sort of a, a rough idea of how many were documentaries oh, and how many were dramas? I could, off the top of my, I couldn't tell you. I know there's about sort of three finalists in each category, but sort of specific amounts. Um, probably, you know, it's hard to say because there's also the secondary school kids, and some of those are dramas, and some of those are features, and also the tertiaries. So I, I was just sort of, I was just sort of interested a, a in. A fair few docos came in, maybe. Um, I think maybe, I don't know, maybe six docos or something. Yeah, so... so your docos, I can't remember. So your film honest. festival is really uh, helping to uh, support the creative urges of the Western suburbs, right? isn't it? I think so. There's a lot of filmmakers here. There's a film school and then um, there's Footscray City Films and then they, the teacher there also runs um, a media department, a very strong media department at Footscray City College. So those kids uh, make films the media students there. And then, of course, obviously we have a lot of... Um, we have Kindred Studios and a lot of people make films, um, you know, film there. And we have a lot of, um, you know, young filmmakers living in the area. So... And there's a few other festivals in the area as well. So I think that there is a lot of filmmaking activity going on out here. 
irrespective yeah. of you know this festival. Yeah. Now, now obviously, uh, it's not just for young people. It's a broad uh, age. Anybody, any age, any filmmaker can actually um, put correct, a, yeah. submit a film. But it's it's the link to the West that counts, isn't it? Well, um, we have specific awards for films um, that are shot in the West or made by West people that live in the West, like Best Director, Best Screenwriter. Um, the People's Choice Award, Cultural Diversity. So, but anybody can enter. So we have awards for people that aren't from the Western suburbs too. But those sort of specific filmic awards will go to, go to Western suburbs filmmakers. But we have a Best Short Feature and a Best Doco um, that, that aren't Western suburbs. They're Metro. And we also have the Animation category, which is an open category as well. Um, yeah, so it's not... It's not specific. It's it's largely West, but not totally. Oh, right. So that's that's pretty handy. Who are your judges? How do you judge? Um, our judges are a group of um, media teachers and people who have filmmaking experience or TV production experience. Um, so, or, and judging experience. Pretty much all of them have judged before on other festivals, so they're familiar with what to look for. Yeah, because it's tricky, isn't it? Yeah, it, is, it can be a bit tricky, and everybody's really different. So you'd be you'd be amazed the um the variations that come back, you know, in their judging because they all go out independently. The short list, and when that comes back, and you can get some real big variations in scores and stuff. So, um, I guess oh, so what did what did you do then? So what do you do then? I mean, cause... we we add them up. We add we add up the scores. Every um, films get rated on a set of criteria out of ten, and um and then they get a final mark and then those ones become finalists and then they get assessed again on the, the same criteria out of 10 by different range of judges and then that's how we pick our winners. Oh, fantastic. And what kind of prizes do you offer? Um, we have a night for two at Crown Casino with free parking and free dinner and breakfast. I think we also have a, a dinner at Anchorage. We have um, a box set of DVDs. We have some artwork by uh, Baby Gorilla. And um, Jospen Holson, and we have um, some, yeah, just off the top of my head, I think we also have studio time, the Sun Theatre donated free theatre. Kindred Studios offer a free, um, free hire of one of their studios. Backlot Post offer free hire of one of their production facilities. And then Open Channel gave everyone that entered the festival a free membership and um, one of the winners will get five conference passes on top of that. So we, oh, have, we have a lot of prizes. Yeah. So hopefully I've covered most of them. My Screen Hub, they also give out magazine um, memberships to people. And, yeah, so we, we have a wide range of um, prizes. Now, before you go, how do people book? Yep. Just to the sunfeeder.com.au. Um, on the side, on the right sidebar, you'll see the... Setting Sun Short Film Festival poster and all of the programs are listed underneath. So if you click on those links, it will bring up what films are playing on what night at what time and then at the bottom of that will be a, a link to the to book a ticket. Well, thanks for uh, being, uh, you know, uh, being part of Showreel this morning. Thanks, Anna, for... And thank you for your support this year. No worries, mate. Good luck. Thank you very much. 
And that was Anna Bazookas from the Setting Sun Film Festival, which I said was on between the 16th to the 18th of April. Sounds like a lot of fun, actually. So go to the Sun, uh, Sun Cinema's website and you'll be able to make some bookings. Before that, we were having a chat with uh, Jeremy Irvine about Bade to Black, which we should be seeing on tele- television screens in Australia later in the year or early next year. Coming up uh, next is... Uh, Published or not, we'll go out with The Devil in Me with by Augie March. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.